0: There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs and marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Revenue-Driven CMO. I'm your man, Chris Mechanic, here with a really exciting guest, an incredible marketer that's been behind some of the most successful companies in the world. She's been at SAP, she's been at Google, HP, Accenture, Time Warner, you name it. Her resume is just amazing. Uh She earned uh, top women to watch of PR week's top women to watch in 2020. She's also been recognized as a top 50 influencer marketer uh, by talking influence and top digital marketing on LinkedIn. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Amisha Gandhi. How are you, Amisha?
1: I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm really excited uh, to dig in with you here today. You know that our audience is all about those secrets. We're trying to pick up secrets uh, any chance that we can. Tell us, what is one of your best-kept secrets to marketing success?
1: I think when we look at leadership and leaders, we all want to be inspired. Why do we join some of these companies? We're inspired by their vision, right? So I think one of the secrets is how can you be an inspiring and a strategic leader but at the same time, help break down that inspiration and strategy so that your team can execute, not just achieve those goals, you know, in revenue, but really feel good about crossing that finish line and feel that really great sense of accomplishment. Because when people feel that, even with the smallest teams, you can achieve amazing things, right? Like if you think about being a coach, you need to be inspiring, but you need to get your team there, right? That kind of mindset that, you know, you bring into leadership. And I think that works. I think some people are amazing, inspiring leaders and they surround themselves with others that can help break it down. Yeah, Right. But if you're, and if you're in a big company, great. If you're in a smaller startup environment, then you have to be the one that can break it down. I think that's an interesting combination, but that's where I think some companies fail. They inspire, but then it falls flat or there's no inspiration and you're just executing.
0: Yeah. So it's like it's like inspiration without perspiration or actually like the tactical plan just doesn't work.
1: Inspiration
0: right. itself is not enough. The tactical plan itself is not enough. You need both inspiration and the tactical plan. Um and I think for most marketers and most leaders, I feel like the tactical plan is probably the easier part. You know, like everybody can can sort of put a project or it seems like a more common skill to put a project plan and a tactical plan in place. As a leader, you might even, uh, delegate that to somebody, you know, just to like, Hey, make this plan. Let's talk about the inspiration piece. Like how do you build inspiration in a team, especially, it's probably easy if you are a sexy brand doing something awesome, like say you're like Airbnb or something where it's like, we're changing the way that, you know, people travel like that's an inspiring vision in and of itself. But what if you're a slightly like more boring or more normal company, you know, say that you're uh, some B2B software company with some, you know, better mousetrap to do X, Y, Z logistical, whatever thing. How do you take something that's a, maybe a little bit on the boring side and make it really inspirational?
1: So I think some of the boring companies we think about, they're doing things that are helping, You know, I was just at a FinTech company, so we were helping the office of CFO, right? And it was more back-end office, or like when I was at SAP for a long time, a lot of things we did were backend processes, mm-hmm. right? And workflows. Those are them in and of itself is not exciting, but if you think about marketing and marketing to those personas, and making it in a way like we are actually changing how they're doing their job and we're making their jobs better. Here's some customers, we, customers we've helped. Look, Listen to how we've helped them. And that becomes an inspiration for everyone. There's also the company culture that you're attracting people to, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a two prong. It's not just your company's doing this big, sexy thing. No, our company is doing something that's very solid and it's making this impact. Oh, by the way, we're also a company where you get to come and do some, really incredible work in a very, you know, holistic environment or environment where your career is going to be nurtured, right? So people either want to work at some cool company or they want to work somewhere where that's going to help their own career and they're going to grow and learn something. So you need to have that more so than anything else to me. And that's how you really inspire people because you're creating an environment where they're going to come and learn something and have a career. It's yeah. going to help them in their career. I think that's how people keep and retain people, and also keep them inspired.
0: Interesting. So that sounds almost like a one-to-one approach. That sounds almost like a hey, you know, let's sit down, let's plan out your career progression, and also we are changing the way that CFOs work. But uh, am I hearing that right? That basically, like,
1: the, it's both. The- it's a yeah. It's both. It's like the work that they're going to do. It's going to be something that they're going to learn from. And it's not, it's one-to-one at the direct manager level, right? That mm-hmm. manager needs to be able to do that. But you as the leader of a marketing org, right, CMOs, you're creating a vision of like, this is our, this is the big aha we're going to go after this year. This is the revenue model. This is the content we've all talked about as leadership team. This is the vision. This is how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the market is like, oh, that's great. Ra, rah, rah. We feel excited about that. But also, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to get to take on something. So, at policy. we wanted to redo the brand. And so I told our creative team there is no box. Pretend there's no box for finance. What would you do to make this a very interesting brand? Like, you know, let's get crazy. Let's think about Dose Eke as the most interesting man in the world. How would you do that for us? Let's mm-hmm. just, you know, think about it in a very different way. And so the team went, you know, we went off and we talked to lots of different people and then we came back and we executed on and ended up on something very different for finance brand, which was art house photography. And instead of saying we get rid of manual processes, we said, you know, we put you in charge, Uh, you know, show invoices who's boss. That's very taking something that's not exciting and making it really exciting Because we decided to do that, right? And then, so that, the team is inspired. And because of the work they were doing, the rest of the marketing org was like, we want to get behind this. The DG team was like, we're going to do message testing on this. See if it works better for Persona. Product marketing was like, we're going to take it to our customers. So everybody had a piece of that pie. And so you felt like you're working on something really exciting. And everybody was learning something new at the same time, right? Yeah. And so when you create that, yeah, so you tell your team there isn't a box. I don't believe there's a box. I think people are like, oh, my job is content marketing. Sure, your job is content marketing. Here's your responsibility and what you do, but there's not a box around your thinking, right? It depends on the company that you're at and the leaders that you're surrounding with. There's not a box. We're trying to achieve X. How do you think we could get to X? I, can't, I can come up with a great content marketing strategy. My leader, uh, head of content and brand could come up with something, but the person who owns it you want to empower them to, get, to be able to do that, too, and then support them, right? And then guide them and then give them feedback, right? That's why they act the a leader, like, are you do approve or not? You get feedback, your team can then improve on or find to what they're working on. But if you yeah. tell people there is no, imagine there's no box. What would you do when you do those types of exercises with your team? It's incredible how creative people in marketing can be, even if they're in demand gen how they can think about like, let me go ask some other people at other companies what they're doing. And that's how you really bring innovation into your team because everyone is like, wow, I have no limits. Let me see what I can do. And that's what brings it in. Like for me, one of the things that we did was um, to drive more inspiration and career is I put aside some money every year and and said, okay, we have X amount of dollars it's 50,000, hundred, whatever it is. Whatever you can do. And this last time it was 100. And we said, this money is open for an innovation project. So the challenge to the marketing team is you can have this money. The way you get this money to do a project is it can't be something that you didn't get to do that you put budget for and now you don't get to do it. It's more, it is a project for innovation. You have to pick somebody else on a different team in marketing. And one, out, one person outside of marketing has to be on your team. You have to create a team and come with an idea of something new that you want to try in marketing for the year, and that's a project. It's like a Skunk, skunk Works project, yeah. if you will. And so we had six teams that, that came to it, and you had to present to like the CRO, me, the CEO, like to a panel of the executives, and then we would vote. And the whole marketing team was there. A lot of other people from other parts of the company came, and everybody watched, you present. And then after the presentations were done, there was a voting round. And then there was like a first place. And, a, you know, so then people got money. Actually, two teams got money, Nice. but they were different things for the company. And that incites different type of thinking outside of the everyday, right? That's how you can force if you're not getting innovation, right? And you're at a company that's been around forever. That's a good way. I do this as a startup, but you can do that as a you know, that gets some innovation and some excitement going and everybody else and your peers are watching you. Then some of the peers who didn't try were like, I want to do this next time because this was exciting to watch. And then everybody gets to see the project come to life. And then when we launched the the project that won, everybody was behind it. And they were like, that was amazing. And it got good results. And, you know, so you want to create, sometimes you have to create those moments for your team. And yeah. that will lead to a lot more inspiration, right? Like for us, that brand, the rebranding, right? That became very inspiring for a lot of people, not just in marketing, but across the company. Yeah. Right. And in order so to do is, that, uh, we just yeah.
0: What is something that uh, executives, leaders that are listening right now could do, basically to provide a boost
1: of inspiration and
0: motivation to their?
1: I think teams? you really have to think of. I think we all look at our financial models, right? At CMOs, we look at the financial model. We look at these are the things we have to do. We're in this macroeconomic climate. So we're not, you know, it's not a fun time right now. Everybody's stressed out. Really think about the framework of your plan. Look at your marketing plan. What are the things that, you know, we're really going back to basics in marketing right now. We're looking at where can we optimize? Where can we do better? Are we doing the right message testing with our persona? Are we getting people in the door faster. Like people are taking longer time to make decisions because maybe they don't have the budgets either, right? So they're going to pick some things that are must-haves versus nice to have. How do you make yourself a must-have, right? And so sometimes people think like there's nothing inspiring in that, right? No, do a brainstorm with your team. Mm-hmm. Like every quarter or do a, brain, do a brainstorm with the beginning of the quarter. that we have our plan. We're going to do a brainstorm. How can we and everybody bring their ideas. What are the things that we are investing in and not investing in? Where are the gaps? Do an audit, like go across and listen to everyone and do an audit, find the gaps and say, hey, this is the audit we did. These are the gaps we have right now. We wanna fill them in and do a brainstorm around them. I include everyone because everyone has skin in the game, right? Because then you're seeing very transparent. This is what's going on. This is our model. Okay, everyone knows the plan. Okay, fine, we'll go do it. No, we have the plan how we need to take a look at ourselves, right? Now we're at the mid-year point. Did what we said work? Did it not work? Where else can we optimize as we go in the last half of this year where things are not still looking as up as we want them to, right? How are we going to do that? Where should we cut as a team? Where should we invest? And make it a brainstorm and say, what are some big things that we can do or a stake in the ground that we can make that can pull us forward, right? And if you do that, I think then you're creating that framework you take that framework of, you know, you, everybody understands the plan. So you have the, your yearly plan and you have your quarterly OKRs. You have, the, you have to have that so everybody knows what they're doing, right? Yeah. You take that and say, here's the project, here's the new campaign we're going to do in the fall. What are we going to do that's going to optimize these gaps? And then you sit back and let people give their, because there are some ICs on your team that maybe never got a chance to put their idea forward and it's time they can do that. Then you can go back as a leadership team and do that. But then everyone has skin in the game. I think people are so stressed right now. They're like, oh my gosh, we can do this. Then we have to do this. Then we have to just get it done. If you do that, everyone's just running around like a hamster on a, on a wheel, right? Yeah. You Take the step back. Now we're at the mid-year point and do that. And then create the framework. Okay, this brainstorm, we, these are the way we're going to do these gaps. Maybe there isn't anything super creative there. That's okay. But your team is now invested. Right. Yeah. Because they're they have they roll everyone's rolling up their sleeves together. They see that you're rolling up your sleeves too. I think if you're just like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm blah, 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 this great vision, and you go away, then you're leading from an ivory tower. No, this is the time where I think leaders need to roll up their sleeves and really be in on the farm, on the field with their teams.
0: Yeah. And I think the the concept of inspiring team members sometimes tends to get lost in in the day-to-day shuffle, you know, because everybody is super busy. I mean, it can be difficult to, to take time aside either for that brainstorming session or for the one-to-one to talk about career paths and progression. Uh, but there's a distinct feeling, and from the agency world, I can feel it you know even more distinctly because we work with many different clients and each has their own team and you can really feel a palpable difference like when a team is into it and inspired and motivated and, and i think that the that the key is that thing you were saying about brainstorming and allowing people basically to come up with the idea themselves i'm guilty of this myself sometimes like i'll get a very specific idea and i'll ask the team like hey can we do this specific thing? Like, let's do it kind of that way or this way and that right. way. Uh, and I find that you know people will do it, but they'll they'll even if you don't ask them to. Oftentimes, put their own twist on it. I think it's just human nature, you know. Like, you don't want to just follow orders blindly, uh, especially as you gain skills and experience. Like, you'd rather be. I think nine nine times out of ten marketers want to be told. What the goal is, and not necessarily how to get there.
1: Yeah. And I think the other big part of like inspiration and motivating teams, getting everyone on the same page and rowing, it's about rowing in that direction, right? Together. And you feel like you're on the, you're part of this bigger, larger organization and company, but also on this team is that connectedness. So that whole brand campaign, we connected it all the way through DG. Right. So that means everyone on the team was connected into it. I think a lot of times there's a lot of great ideas in marketing. And you're like, oh, look at the advertising team or look at, you know, the DG team. And I like, you know, they're getting roses at their feet because they brought in all this money. And I feel like I just did all this content and I'm just being ignored. Right. But if you're you need to create that connectedness of like, OK, when we do things like this, everybody's involved. They're working on it and they understand their peak of the puzzle. Right, yeah. because otherwise, and so you, your leader should understand. Hey, I need to create connectedness between BG and content, product marketing, marketing ops, if I want my project to really work. Because you need tracking, you need all the things to make your ideas work. Right, yeah. oftentimes people go off and say, "I'm going to go do this page and PPC and do this messaging. I'll ask content for a little bit of help. I'll get what I need." But they're not telling or showing anyone what they're actually and product there's like I need this from you, I need this from you, and I need this from you. And now I'll go off and get this project done. Yeah. That's fine. That's for every day to day, yes, you need to do that. But for those other bigger things that you're trying to get those inspiring things done, when you say talk about breaking it down, it has to be broken down. So everybody understands your piece of the puzzle and how it connects to each other. And they should be working together. That's how you see some of these like, small, nimble teams Come out of the water with, and it looks like they've executed on this amazing, flawless campaign. And you're like looking at large companies and they're like fumbling around. I think it's that not having things in silos and that connectedness of the way your team works together is yeah. really crucial. And especially for those startups. So for me, it's you create that inspiration, you create those breakdowns of the leaders, but then. You also need to put the onus on yourself as a leader and others on your team to make sure that that connectedness happens when you're doing this kind of work Yeah, because if and, and create that framework. And it can't just be a lot of people use tools like Asana or Monday, and they're just throwing things in there and people are like just doing them. Right. No, take a breath and say, this is what we're doing together and why we're doing it together, not just become so task oriented, because then people are just doing task after task after task which they do already in day to day. Everybody does that. I do that too, right? It's your task, And then you have that space for like the work and everybody in marketing, even if you're marketing operations, there's like that piece that everyone loves to do. Right. Yeah.
0: So you've inspired me because I have been guilty myself of being the, the type of leader, the type of manager that's like, Hey, almost like a, like on a need to know basis, right? Like, like I don't want to have 10 people in the meeting if it's just like three people that are going to be, you know, primarily participating. And I've been pretty rigid around that uh, for most of my career, but I'm starting to rethink it now because if you, it, because it's not a waste of time, right? Like for say that you're a designer and, and there's a campaign happening it's one thing to receive a written brief, like, Hey, you know, we need X, Y, Z number of ads. But I think the ability to participate in those meetings, even though they may not, they may not directly like need to be there. Quote unquote, I think involving them uh, early and often, like not just a creative person, but everybody on the team, there's definitely merit to that because then it's like more than it becomes more than the sum of its parts.
1: Yeah, and you can assign people, like not everybody on the design team, you get that person that's like, you're like the liaison for this project. Your job now is to bring that, the viewpoint, and then now you have to go back and communicate to everybody in design what's happening. So they understand this too, right? Because then what you're also doing is you're then, you know, some ICs now have the opportunity to manage something, even though yeah. they're not a manager or be a lead on something that they're not a lead on. Right. So you're they're getting some, you know, leadership training there. And then for you, like, yeah, not everyone can be on a meeting. Right. And you don't want to waste time with a bunch of meetings. You want to be judicious so you can have people be assigned and create like these little task force. Right. And mm-hmm. but the job of that task force is to tell people on their team. The other thing is the way I kill time is I, I had all hands, you know, when with my team. I always had all hands every week. Depends on your team and what you're trying to book you know, to start up, things move really fast. We had an all-hands meeting was required. It was just that meeting that everybody was on together. And we had a water cool. I believe, in water cooler movement. So, and there were remote people on a team too. So again, about creating that environment, the first five, six minutes were people being in breakout rooms with one other person. They didn't know, like it was just random. And saying, hi, how are you? And just catching up. So even if you're in the office, the first part of our meeting always started at their desk. And then- we're like, okay, everybody's in the office, you come to the room or say, you know, to come in or whatever, at your desk, however you want to do it. Right. Because everyone is online or in the room. Right. And if you're in the room, you're not allowed to have side conversations. If you have a side conversation, you need to tell the group. So that made it a thing of the culture of that meeting. Like, because then everybody's remote. It's like everybody in the office laughing, eating cupcakes. I'm just sitting here and I'm bored, right? That's not yeah. fair. You have, to create, you have to create the construct for all of this to work. And then the all hand, it would be, here are the top three things that we did this week. Great, rah, 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 15 minutes. You know, now you're like 20 minutes of meeting. Okay, now the rest of the meeting is, these are the things that are coming. These are the things that are long-term and that everybody needs to know about to start thinking about this in this way. And it's not me or anyone in the leadership talking. It's somebody from the team who's actually doing the work or it's two or three people and they're telling the rest of the team because that gives the rest of the, your team to speak up and be seen. Everyone knows who the leaders are. You don't really need to hear from us right. you like all the time. Right. And then it's not just telling your team, you go do this. You, yeah, you tell a person you go do this by this date, you go do this, but everyone is on the same page. Right. And everyone totally. sees, these are the priorities for marketing. This is the update. By the way, the leadership team has decided that we're not launching this product. Here's why. We need to catch up because we fell behind this other category and you're able to disseminate information there. And then you have 10 minutes for Q and A, like, or Q and A along the way, depending on what you're doing. I did that every week. And that really was a great forcing function for even me and my leadership team to say, we spend 10 minutes on it every week. What are we doing this week? Why? What does the team need to know together, not separately, but together and what, you know, what, what decisions were made? Are there any cultural things? We even had a cultural team. We had a little task force of a culture team where, you know, we would do co- big quarterly things together to celebrate the quarter. And then they were like baby showers and other things, but everything was virtual and remote because everybody was everywhere. Yeah. So it brings culture, right? See, it's about, I guess my point is you, it's about creating these constructs. So you're not wasting people's time. You're making those efficient, effective use of people's time, but you're still able to provide those moments right where people can be inspired where people get that connectedness then you're creating that culture that people really want to be a part of
0: I love that yeah that that makes a ton of sense and I particularly like the idea of having the teams individually presenting their plans and ideas because then it's like it's like Facebook official kind of official it's like okay they have stood up in front of the team and now you know and described this whole plan so they're definitely going to be owning that out. Hey, one last yeah, thing. It's
1: that whole thing of ownership. Yeah. People feel like really proud. And then their colleagues are like, wow, I didn't think this person was really helping us. And wow, this person is actually doing all this work. Didn't know.
0: Yeah. Hey, um, we could go on for a long time about this. This is a really interesting topic. I want to talk, or I have one more question on inspiration, and then I want to switch gears to something else real quick, but. You've worked at a lot of amazing companies. You did uh, a particularly long tenure at um, SAP or SAP. Uh, when you're thinking back, when did you feel most inspired? Like, like at what point? Just tell me the story of, you know, the company, the management team. Like, when have you, uh, not as a leader, but as a as a member of a team, been most inspired by by other leaders?
1: I think I have to go back, I think at SAP, to be you know, really inspired, right? I think I joined at SAP 2010, a long time ago now, um, and I joined, there was one CEO. And at that time when I joined, people were like, why did you join SAP? What a boring ERP company you've joined. He said, no, they're doing a lot of really cool things. It'll be interesting. And they really work on business. And it's really exciting. They have like, amazing customers, right? It's very exciting to be part of that. So they're like, mm, that's interesting. A month into SAP, they went to co-CEO model and there was Bill McDermott came and Jim Hongamishnaba. And the way Bill McDermott talked about SAP was so different and so inspiring. He was like just the guy off, you know, around the block, very relatable to a lot of people, not just in the US, but worldwide. He's like, I, he's like a self-made person, right? And he tells those stories in a way to employees that are very inspiring. He like, said, we're gonna change it. We're gonna take SAP, it's like a 30,000 person company. We're gonna become like IBM and GE. That's what our goal is. And by 2023, we're gonna be like a billion billion company. That's a really audacious thing to say. And everybody in Germany is, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, that's like huge. Like, we're just like an ERP company. And he said, we are doing these acquisitions. We're gonna grow our portfolio and we're gonna get innovation really fast in the company. So he's like, buckle up, it's gonna, you know, buckle up and get ready to roll up your sleeves. I mean, to me that was inspiring. I came from the startup world. Wow, that's amazing. This person is gonna come in and along with and Jim and Naba is doing the product stuff, and he said a lot of inspiring things like, Wow, this is exciting. They're like, We're gonna break things, we're gonna do things, you know, fresh and we want that and we're looking for ideas. And they created all these different groups to like really get people, like all employees, sort of input. They have contests and different things to really get people involved. Yeah. Right. And that's like the constructs
0: that you were talking about.
1: Yeah. They changed the way the company was the, they changed the way people thought about the company. So, you know, Jonathan Becker was then the CMO and the way he did things, he was a business person also, but he also inspired the marketing team and said, okay, bill is all these wonderful things. How, now, what are we going to actually do? and become this brand, but also build the revenue. This is what we need to do. And so they made a lot of changes. And they were really, Jonathan was really great about communicating about those changes, why they were happening, and what you could do to be a part of that. Right? And that is very inspiring for a lot of people. And then you feel energized. And you're like, wow, we're going to do something that hasn't been done, or we're going to change this company and make it like this amazing day. Now, when I say I'm from Etsy, people are like, wow, that's great. Right. It was never, you know, people want to talk to you. They're like, oh, you had a long run at SAP. That's fabulous. Tell me about it. Like that, that can be very inspiring. One of their first acquisitions after business objects they made was Sybase and that was around mobile. And I had the opportunity to be a part and build a whole mo- mobile marketing organization from scratch along with my boss. That was an amazing experience. That was all part of this change.
0: Yeah so i'm curious so you've met bill mcdermott it sounds like Mm -hmm. oh he's a badass he's now at service now and i've seen him actually on um cnbc uh and he was inspiring even to watch then just like um you know giving a regular interview but i'm curious once he kind of uh got involved was it just like a straight shot, or were there was there significant adversity and setbacks and failures
1: along the way? And I think the biggest thing. With? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is SAP had never had a U.S. based lead CEO like that. Right, it was all Germany based. A lot of you know, it was a very global company at the time. You couldn't say like here's the base, but and a lot of marketing was in the U.S. right as well as in Germany. And everyone felt like when I joined SAP, I went to Germany a lot and I was very lucky that my boss got me involved in projects because that's how you get things done. It's like, where, where is this closest to the power, right? Like that's how you can get things done at companies like that. So by doing this, SAP went from just, oh, they're a German company to like, no, we're ne- we're a global company. We have the right leader. But he had to win over everyone in Germany and in Europe and other parts because me because He's very, very strong. And then Jim Havishnaba is very, very strong in Germany, right? Everybody kind of flocked to him over here. And so instead of him saying, oh, you get this. And I no, he was really good about sharing and he always gave Jim time and said, this is important. What he's doing is this. And he would always throw it over to make sure. And then he understood where his, what he needed to do, but it was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't go like this. It was, there were some, you know, it's a start. Like every German is like, oh my gosh, like this Americans going to tell us what to do. He actually was very, you know, how he talks, that's just who he is. It's how he is. It's not like a made up personality that he has. A lot of CEOs are like big and then they're like something else behind. No, that's just who he is. He's somebody from New York. He's, you know, had like a stand and sold sandwiches or whatever it was. Right. And he's built everything from the ground up for himself. Right. And he did sales. So he knows how to he knows how to put in the elbow grease. Right. And I think people really saw that over time. And that's how he really won a lot of people over. Is through just he was very authentic and real. And I think sometimes being authentic and real can be very different for at a company like an SAP, where it's more buttoned up. It was, you know, just slightly different. And he had that kind of energy. But for a global company, you need somebody like that, right yeah, and so he inspired a lot of people, and when people saw him and they see him speak they 're like, "Maybe I should check out p so then you know attracting talent becomes better, then people want to work where you are, right and then making those right business decisions of acquisitions, right Some of those worked well, some of them didn't and then I think that one of the biggest things is when Bill actually had an accident with his eye, and the way he behaved after that and the, how humble he was and how really was with that. I think it really won the hearts and minds of everyone at the company. It really, really did.
0: Interesting. Tell me about that a little bit. Uh, I didn't, I didn't realize he had a thing with his eye. I was wondering why he always wore sunglasses.
1: Yeah. No. So Bill, Bill had a accident with his eye. And so he had to get surgery and that's why he wore sunglasses, right? Because he had that damaged extensive damage. And so a lot of leaders would say, oh, you know, I need to go off and get healed. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a, it was a really big thing. Right. He was really, really hurt, actually. Um, and it was, took recovery. He bounced back from that and he said, I'm here. This happened to me. I need to recover, but I'm going to continue being the great leader that I am, even though I have this injury. Right. And everyone was just like, wow, this is somebody who was taking, you know, you're losing, you know, you have that happen. A lot of people can say, oh, you know, I have a disability now or whatever and kind of go away. No, he just came back even stronger and he said, this is going to make me a better leader. It's given me more humility in life. It's just like the way he talked about and the way he shared what he went through in a very open way. People were just like, wow, that's amazing. He was very transparent about everything. And so I yeah. think that won a lot of people over because a lot of people thought, wow, you know, what will happen, Right. Yeah. But sometimes these things happen to people and they go away. I look at like Sheryl Sandberg, like what happened to her, her husband passed away suddenly. She, she came back and she bounced back, right? And when people see that, you're even more inspired. You're like, wow, what an incredible human to have some adversity, overcome it in this way and keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's a great story. Cool, Misha. We could keep going for a long time. Uh, I do have some other questions, but I want to be cognizant of your time, and I know that we're getting close here. Can I ask one more thing, real quick, before we get to the sure, lightning round? Sure,
1: fire so away. So,
0: at some point in your time at SAP, it seems that your role uh, really changed, like in a in a dramatic way, where you went from it looked like kind of a uh, focus on strategy and product marketing to then suddenly you were head of global influencer marketing and demand gen uh and that was you know 2015 to 2018 and you even to this day you don't see a lot of b2b's talking about influencer marketing much or even more rarely like doing effective influencer marketing so you might think that like sap would be the last place that would you know be at early early adopter of of influencer marketing and like the enterprise b2b how did that come about and sort of like what was the the thesis how like how did you find yourself in that role
1: so i found myself in that role because i was in mobile and mobile was getting pulled into s4hana at the time and i didn't have a job so it's like i basically didn't have a job at sap and i had started influencer marketing i got the idea from blogger relations that you can have people who are influencers or influences strong enough that your buying persona is listening to and getting advice from, right? It's not Dove soap or shoes, but they are getting advice from these people. They get advice from analysts, right? When they make big software decisions, right? So are there these other folks that are influencers on them? Mm -hmm. So I had been doing some videos in mobile marketing that did really, really well in our campaign because we had third-party influencers in the mobile industry, even from the consumer side, talking. And we, that's how we had gotten ourselves in some of the shows and things by associating ourselves with these folks, right? And creating those relationships. So I thought, could we do that as a brand across all of our businesses and work and not just, you know, co-create content, even co-create demand gen plays, right? Because it comes down to revenue and social is great, but It's not going to pay, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to buy enterprise software that way. Right. 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 That was my thesis. That was my idea. And then I shopped it around. I was like, I need a job. By the way, I'd like to be this job that does not exist anywhere at any company in B2B, but I think we could do it for demand gen. And there was a new demand gen leader and my old boss, Jim Dever, he actually fought for me and he got me in front of her and he said, now pitch your idea, pitch it to her. And I said, it's, and she said, it has to be for demand gen, not social or just content. And I said, sure, we can do it for demand gen. And I was like, figure this out because my whole idea was around co-created content. So instead, I thought of ABM plays. I thought of how we can invite influencers to do demos to actually be in the cycle Mm -hmm. with us. And so I then had to go around and pitch other colleagues. She said, I'll give you the job. You go ask your colleagues for budget and headcount or whatever resources you need. From them, you pitch your idea to them now and see if they'll give some of their campaign dollars from DG to you. And she said, I'll give you a year. And whatever you do in the year, whatever success you have, we'll look back on it, we'll reassess. And if not, you can do something else, but we'll give your idea a year. And that's how I got that job. And so I started with one project, pilot project for CIO. We had four influencers come and do an ebook with us and do a series of, vid- of videos with us. And we put it out in a camp and we did a campaign. So it was at a drip and everything of its own. So it was a full top mid funnel campaign and drip all the way through. And we even had some stuff for sales and they could pull these people into some of their big deals if they wanted to, because oh, one of them actually implemented SAP. So that's what we did. And that campaign did so well, that series that we did so well, we paired it with an event that was already going on. And I, I spent maybe 20, 20 grand on the whole project because <laughs> I didn't yeah. have any money. I convinced somebody else for like scraps. I got a scrap. That's what I did. And then it became one of the most used uh, campaigns of the year at the company for this persona set at, at SAP. And it did so well. It delivered a lot of ROI. People were really engaged. People wanted to come to the event more because they saw these people. They wanted to see these people. They didn't care about SAP. And once they were there, they were then engaged with SAP. And we could keep them going in the conversation at that level. So that's well, Misha, that how was, I got my start. Yeah. That was
0: definitely ahead of its time. But I think an, an evergreen, always relevant marketing principle is basically, okay, who's your buyer? Who are they listening to? Who are they influenced by? How do we pair up with them? winning formula yep. every day. Yep. And you were the first to discover it in enterprise B2B or one, well,
1: of, one of the first of many, right. But I, I yeah. did it at a big brand. Right. And I don't think anyone else did. And I kind of made up a lot of things that were on. There were also lots of failures, right? I think every failure is just setting up the learning for the next success.
0: That's the soundbite of, of the episode right there. I love it. Cool. Misha. Well, um, let's move into the lightning round and then we'll wrap here. The lightning round is three questions, uh, and I want your just shoot from the hip answer. Question number one, if you were to start a side hustle, what would that side hustle be?
1: Buster side, side hustle, it would be um, cooking. I believe in chai, Indian chai. Nobody does Indian chai the way it should be done, so I would do that, and I would call it chai mama.
0: Nice. It sounds like you've given that some thought. I bet you that would work though. Chai mama sounds good. Um, Cool. Number two, top three influencers or authors or books even that have made an impact on your career.
1: I think Simon Sinek because he's very positive and a lot of things that he says, you know, inspire a lot of people. I'm really into so yeah. I think and, and it's very
0: positive.
1: Yeah. yeah start with the why. So it's, that's, a great one and I always think about why are we doing this right so uh, I love a lot of his talks I'm reading a book right now called Tiny Habits by BJ Novak and I think everyone in marketing or GTM leader should read it because it's really about moving the needle in the smallest ways to have the biggest impact that's Mm -hmm. something I'm currently reading and then I think lastly like Brene Brown again like another person that's providing a lot of inspiration right um, to a lot of people and it's positive. I think we all need positivity right now. And Mm so, you know, listening to her is always inspiring and she's also a woman, right? So we want to uplift women as much as possible.
0: Cool. Well, Amisha, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming out and for sharing all this wisdom with us.
1: No, this was a lot of fun. And I look forward to hearing from the rest of your podcast too, because I've learned a lot of things from them as well
0: brilliant. Cool. And uh, for everybody listening at home, if you learned something or laughed a little bit today, go ahead and drop us a like or a comment or share this with a friend. Keep the love flowing. Uh, We do appreciate that. And Amisha, uh, for the listeners, uh, if they want to learn more about you or get in touch, what would be the best way to do that?
1: Come find me on LinkedIn.
0: On LinkedIn, it is. All right, cool. Well, we'll include a link to that LinkedIn in the show notes, and it's Amisha gandhi uh badass b2b marketing force i like it this was and if great. you like
1: cooking you can follow me on instagram at amisha cook
0: oh not chai mama mm-hmm.
1: no not yet <laughs>
0: <laughs> you gotta do that that sounds like a great idea cool amisha we'll stay on the line uh just a minute and for everybody else thank you very much that concludes another exciting episode of revenue driven cmo we'll see you next time and that's a wrap Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free, literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. Fill out the two-minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. No hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.